Lord, we do. We thank you. We thank you that you are the satisfaction for our souls, that you are the one who brings peace to our hearts. You are the resurrected one, as we read about tonight. Lord, I pray that we would be moved, we would be changed, as we think once again upon you, the living one, who was once dead, and yet now forever alive. Jesus, would we be changed by that? Would you again speak new life over us, as you did at the moment of our belief? Would you give us fresh, renewed life again? And like the song says, may our souls continue to pant after you. You are truly the only thing that satisfies us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight if you have your Bibles, we're in John 20. We'll be going from verses 1 all the way to verse 18. This first story in, in chapter 20 is uh, the story of Jesus' first resurrection appearance. So, um, a great story, a wonderful story. We're going to hear about Mary, Mary Magdalene. If you remember where we were in John 19, uh, Jesus, his crucifixion happens. He's crucified. He gives up his spirit after saying, it is accomplished. It is finished. And then what happens? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as we talked about last week, they bury his body. They prepare it with spices and lay it in Joseph's tomb. In his death, he was laid in a rich man's tomb, not in the unmarked grave that would typically be assigned to the, those who were crucified. And so it happens now, as we start chapter 20, that Passover has happened, the festival is over, and and they, the day has come where they can go about their, their business again. And so what is the first thought of these disciples? They want to see their Savior's tomb. They want to see Jesus' tomb. Because, of course, on the Sabbath they could not go. So now that the Sabbath is over, they're curious. They want to pay their respects. They want to know what's happening where his body lay with no inkling of what is about to happen. They just want to go and see the spot where their Lord, their Lord was laid. So it says this in verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, it's Sunday, the Lord's day, is what it became to us as we know now, the, the day of the church course, in Judaism, the Lord's Day is Saturday, isn't, isn't it? It's the Sabbath day, Saturday. But this day, this seemingly innocuous day, is going to become the radical center point of everything that Christianity is about. And so our entire Christian lives, therefore, revolve around Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection. And the church recognized early on the importance of this day of the week that would become the day of Jesus' resurrection. Remember, every day we come to church on a Sunday, we celebrate the Lord's life. When we do communion, we remember his death. And yet every Sunday we meet as a church, we commemorate that he's alive. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, while it was still early, came to the tomb, 
while it was still dark, and saw the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene, this is interesting because it's the first time she's been mentioned in the Gospel of John. Clearly the Gospel of John expects you to have some familiarity with who she is. My guess is probably because they, the, the writer expects that you've read the other Gospels, which all were written earlier than the Gospel of John. What we know about Mary uh, of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, uh, is that she was uh, possessed by seven demons, is what it says. We don't know much about her, but we do know the Lord cleansed demons from her. He, he, he delivered her from demons. And uh, most likely, she's probably one of these wealthy women who was supporting Jesus' ministry. There was many, Luke tells us there were many wealthy women who were supporting Jesus in his ministry. It's possible that Mary is one of those. So she's probably well off. She's had a, a sordid past of some kind, especially for uh, having a, a lot of demons associated with her that Jesus heals her from, that he delivers her from. Um, so she's got this deep love for what Jesus has saved her from, what he healed her from, what he delivered her from. And so she goes to the tomb and it's still dark out. Right? What, what's the point of that? Mary has probably been thinking about this the whole time during the Sabbath. It's all she could do is just wait for that minute that the Sabbath would be over so she could go see his grave. Because she arises while it's still dark to go to see him. It's also a, a clear sign of her faith because it, it's possible it could have been dangerous for her to go alone as a woman out while it was still dark, possibly be attacked or any of the other various ills that uh, it's unsafe for a woman to go alone in an, in, a, in an unsafe place. But she is faithful. She goes anyway while it's still dark. And she sees when she gets there that this stone, this massive stone that the Gospels tell us of, uh, that it took several men to roll into place has been removed. The tomb is open. It's probably cut into the side of a, of a hill or uh, cut into the side of a, a, you know, a larger outcropping. And it's, it's in that cave where Jesus was laid and a stone put in front of the tomb. And that stone that took several men to roll into place has, has been rolled away. And so she has no idea what's going on, no idea what's happening, but she sees that it's open. And when she sees that it's open, it says she ran, this is verse 2, she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, which is probably this beloved disciple we've heard about several times now in the gospel, who is probably the author of this gospel, John himself. So she comes to Peter and John, and, and here's what she says. She says, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. John and Peter run to the tomb together, right? John's probably a younger man. That's what most church tradition has told us. He, he's probably a younger disciple. And he is fast. He's got some speed on him. He gets going because he just can't wait up for, for Peter anymore. 
You've got to get there. See what happens. And he leans in into this cut-in tomb, and, it, and he doesn't go in. But he leans in, and he sees the linen wrappings there. And what a mystery that must be to him. Because the body's not there, but the wrappings are. Remember, Nicodemus had packed them full of a hundred, near a hundred pounds of spices, it said, and then wrapped his body. Whatever has transpired, they're maybe worried it's, it's grave robbers. But why take the body? You know, oftentimes they might take things that the, the body was buried with, if it was buried with jewelry or things like that. But why, why take the body? You know, I'm sure they're confused. Just leave the wrappings there. Whatever happened, if, if this is the moment of resurrection, which we know it is, they did not. This is not a, a, a resuscitation like Lazarus's, is it? Where Lazarus gets up and what does Jesus say to the people? Release him from his grave clothes. When Lazarus gets up, he, he's still bound in his wrappings. Jesus says, take him off him. Let him go free. No, Jesus' body is something else. It has gone through the wrappings. It has lifted out of them, and they lay there still on this slab. So when Simon Peter came, following this beloved disciple, and when, when Peter entered the tomb, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. What is this? This is Jesus' victory. Jesus, whose body comes out of those linen wrappings, he takes that face cloth and he wraps it up, lays it in a place by itself as a sign of the life that he has. No longer can death bind him. No longer can death hold Jesus. He is in control. He had authority to take, uh, to, to lay down his life, and he has authority again to take it up. That's what has happened here. And the first person to believe that is to the Gospel of John, John himself. Verse 8, The other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. He looked at the linen wrappings and the face cloth when he entered the tomb, and it says he believed. What's the content of his belief? It's that Jesus had risen. Now it's, here's a caveat. The next verse, verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. John believes, but he doesn't understand. It says he believes. The, the content of that belief must be that he believed Jesus rose from the dead. It must be. That's the thing he has to believe. But he did not understand it from the scriptures. He understood it from what he saw. That's the difference. The scriptures had not yet been opened to him. And why? Well, because 
what I think is the Spirit had not yet come, had not yet been poured out, so he could not understand from the Old Testament that this was what Messiah had always been the plan. It was always the plan that he was going to die and rise again. John could not yet understand that from the scriptures of the Old Testament. But he understood from what he saw. He was a witness. He was an eyewitness. He saw the grave close, and the only conclusion he could come to is Jesus rose. But John is unsure, probably, he's probably doesn't know exactly what to make of it, though he believes. So he doesn't witness, he doesn't tell everyone about it. It says the disciples, meaning John and Peter, they went away again to their own homes. They didn't know what to do with that information. It's likely at this point Peter didn't believe. In Luke it says that Peter was pondering these things in his heart. He didn't know what to make of them. John tells us John believed, but but probably in a similar way, he was not sure what to do with that. And they leave. And who's left? Sweet Mary. Sweet Mary is left. This week, I called this sermon, Mary the Sheep. Mary the Sheep. And that's not, that's not pejorative. That's not meant to be offensive. It's an honor. Because she shows us what the sheep of the shepherd should look like. Mary is so grieved she can't stand the thought of leaving the tomb. So what's it say she did? In verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And when she went into the tomb, what does she see? Two angels in white, sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. There's these two men in the tomb. Now, it's possible she doesn't know they're angels until she reflects on it later. She just sees two men in white sitting there. What do they say to her? They said to her, woman, What's their point? Their point is, Mary, this is a time for rejoicing. Don't you understand what's happened here? Jesus isn't here because he's risen. But they don't tell her that. They just ask her, why are you weeping? She doesn't yet get it. She doesn't yet get it. Why are you weeping, she says, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She has no idea what's happened, whether it's grave robbers or, or some gardener, perhaps, someone who'd come to tend the tomb. Remember, the tomb that Jesus had been laid in, it told us at the end of the chapter, it was in a garden, remember? That's probably where that gardener image comes from as we go on, because this tomb was in a garden, she has no idea how to rectify, how to reconcile in her mind the fact that Jesus' body is not there anymore and the tomb is open. She can't yet see that these two men are angels, actually, sitting in the tomb of Jesus. 
But when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. So she sees a man standing in the garden. But she doesn't recognize him. This is important. Jesus, remember, is resurrected bodily. This is vital. He's not a spirit. It's not magic. He's not become some intangible ghost that floats around and just, you know, is ethereal. When you try and touch him, you just pass through him. Jesus' actual body has come back to life. And it's vital to remember that because that is our hope. The church's hope is bodily resurrection. That these frail, perishable bodies that are weak and frail and get sick and tired, that get old and weak, they will be brought back perfect. Exactly what God intended them to be. Made in the image of Jesus' body, imperishable like his resurrected state. She saw, she saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus says the same thing to her, doesn't he? Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary supposed him to be the gardener. She thought he was the one who was there to tend the garden. And she said to him, Sir, if you, had carried, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary's faithfulness. She thinks about carrying Jesus' body away by herself. That would not be an easy task. For a woman to do by herself, carry the body of a 30-something-year-old of a man. But she says, if you've taken his body, give it to me. I will take care of it. I will tend it. I'll bring it to somewhere else. Maybe they thought Jesus shouldn't have been in that tomb, right? Because it was Joseph's tomb. Maybe someone thought, this body shouldn't be here. It doesn't belong in this tomb. She says, I'll take the body. Give me his body. And I love this, the poignancy of this. This is Mary the sheep. Why? Because Jesus says one word to her. One word. And in an instant, she knows it's him. What word does he say? Her name. Her name. Jesus said to her, She turned and said to him in Hebrew, in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She knew immediately that it was Jesus by the call of her name. This passage of Mary is fulfilling John 10. Like Tyler talked about in, in prayer one week recently about Jesus calling us by name. What does John 10 tell us about the shepherd? And the sheep. For the shepherd, it says, he calls out his own 
by name. Just like he calls to Mary. And what do the sheep do when they hear the call of their name? They know his voice. They know his voice. In John 20, John uses this passage to make perfect sense of John 10, the shepherd. He calls her out by name, and Mary the sheep knows the sound of her shepherd. Knows the voice of her shepherd. Mary is the example of faithful love of Jesus in this passage. Called by name in response to his voice. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. It's interesting because it doesn't tell us what happened in between that moment of Rabboni, teacher, and stop clinging to me. But here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. What would you do if you saw someone you loved back from the dead? Real, tangible, you could touch them. See their flesh and feel it in your arms. I'm sure she ran to him and embraced him. <clears throat> she embraced her Savior, this man that she loved, who she was so grieved over. What a precious experience if only we all could get that moment with the ones we love and have lost. Because of what Jesus did in this moment, in this passage, we will. We will get that chance. It is because of Jesus, for those that we love who have believed in him, we will once again see them in their body. Be able to hold it, hug it, kiss it. Be close to them. Feel their touch again. I'm sure Mary ran to him and held him. And so he says, Mary, stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Stop clinging to me because you've got something to do. You've got something to do. What is it you have to do? You need to go and give a message Go to my brethren, go to my brothers, and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary becomes the first sent one, the first apostle in a way. I don't mean that in terms of the twelve, but I mean in terms of what apostle means. Apostle means sent, the sent one. Mary is the first to be sent with a message to give by Jesus. Jesus says, I have not yet ascended. Go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to your Father and my Father, your God and my God. He, he gives a message of unity with the disciples. Isn't that amazing? At the humility of Jesus. 
Jesus has just been resurrected from the dead. It proves that he is God. And his first statement is to say in humility, go to my brothers, not my slaves, not even my disciples, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm going to the one that you have the same relationship with that I do. He's my father, and he's your father. He's my God, and he's your God. Jesus makes a humble statement of radical unity with those who believe in him. That's what he has to say to his people. So Mary, as the first sent one, Mary Magdalene came. Announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said those things to her. Mary is an example of faith in this passage. When you look at Luke, it's possible they, these other disciples didn't believe at this moment. <clears throat> Luke tells us that it was as it nonsense to them. They didn't know what to make of it. But Mary believed. And she gave the message of the Lord to them. Mary, as opposed to the disciples, is the example of this faithful obedience, this faithful, sitting by the tomb kind of perseverance. When these men had no idea what to make of these things yet, it was a woman. It was a woman who believed. With the kind of tender care and compassion and courage of heart like only a woman can have. She was the one who came with the message of the Lord to them, to these Fearful, broken men. Praise God for Mary. We'll see next week that Jesus too appears to them. And their response to Jesus. And in particular, the great response of Thomas that we see and the climax of this gospel next week. But for tonight, I'm content to just sit in the fact that the Lord chose a woman. In that culture, women, their testimony was not valid in court. In fact, even a man's testimony was not valid unless you had two witnesses. But a woman's testimony was looked at as especially untrustworthy. And just like it says in Corinthians, the Lord has always used the weak, the shame, the strong. He's always used the foolish to shame the wise. He uses the things that are not against the things that are. <clears throat> He loves the lowly and the outcast and the one who's mistreated 
and Jesus, ever the gentleman, ever the lover of people, goes to a woman first and uses her to tell the story of his resurrection. All four Gospels tell us that Mary was there at the first of the resurrection. What a powerful story. What a reminder of the sanctity and love that Jesus had for women in a culture that despised them so often. I'm grateful for the example of Jesus for people and how he treated people, how he thought of them, how he loved them. I'm grateful for the example of Mary. My prayer is that we would all be sheep like her. And we would all, in the darkest situation, sit by the tomb, waiting, hoping for some miracle <clears throat> to be present, to grieve. What an example. Let me pray over you, and Tyler's going to come up. Lord, thank you this evening for everyone in this room. I'm so grateful for... One, just your resurrection. The fact that in you we find new life. That this story is ultimately about the fact that you conquered death. The grave could not hold you. The tomb could not hold you. And you rose out of it, leaving your linen behind. Because death had no claim on you. Thank you, Father, for your vindication of your Son, that by his resurrection it proved that he was unjustly killed, that he was who he said he was. He was the Messiah that you had sent. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your resurrection power on Jesus' precious life. Thank you for tending preciousness of our Savior's Thank you for a woman like Mary who loved you so deeply and who, like a sheep, was called by her name and responded to your voice. May we all in the same way hear our voices called by you and respond in faithfulness and obedience to whatever it is you're calling us to. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. By your spirit's power.